0: Well, I want to welcome all of you joining us uh, across our city, Uh, those of you at our partner churches across the country and literally around the world. Uh, It's a thrill to join with all of you today. uh, We're going to conclude with part two of a two-part series called uh, Fatal Distractions. Before we do that, I have a quick experiment I want to do. And just for fun, I want all of you to pull out your phones. Everybody pull out your phone in all locations, wherever you are. Uh, If you're not even in this state, if you're not in our country, I want you to pull out your phone wherever you are. If you're watching it live, you're watching it later, I want you to pull out your phone right now. I want to do a quick experiment and I need everybody to participate. I'm not gonna make you scan a QR code, by the way. I know dude, that's a pretty popular thing we do. Um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I, now I have an iPhone, so I don't know if you're on Android. I don't know how this works, but on my iPhone, if I, if I push up on my phone, it shows me all the different apps that are open. I want you one by one to close all the apps on your phone, counting them as you close them. I want you to count them. So I want you to start right now. Go ahead, whatever, whatever type of phone you're using, I want you to close all the apps. Count every app as you close it. I want you to, to count them. A few of you are done already. How is that possible? Um, I see people. I see a lot of people still looking down. All locations. I want, I want everybody doing this real quick. Everybody deleting apps, count them. Count them, keep counting. Some of you still have your heads down. You're still working on this. I'm gonna get started, you keep going You keep counting, don't let me distract you Uh, I want you to keep going Um, So just real quick, how many of you less than five? Because you're all paying attention to me now Okay, less than five The holy rollers in the room, less than five How many of you, okay, real real quick, more than five I want you to keep your hands up, more than five You got more than five, be proud, come on, be proud More than 10 More than 20 More than 30, that's still a lot of people More than 50, I'm just gonna make the jump Still a lot of people. I don't know, I don't know about the other rooms. we still got a lot of people. More than 50. More than 60. I got somebody with their hand over their mouth, with their hand up in the air, down here in the front. I won't try and point at them. More than 75. People. More than 80. More than 90 I'll just say this. When we are amongst our team, uh, one person uh, in our team had 98 apps open on their phone. And I, I told him I wouldn't call him out, but he's also the guy that runs my slides. So um, if some weird stuff happens up here, that's why. So here's what I want to do. If you are if you have more than 100 apps open on your phone, I want to know how many you had. Um, and I want you to message me on social media. And if you do, I'll send you a free book because you need it. It's called <laughs> Undistracted. Um <laughs> Um, here's what happens. Here's, here's the good news. For all of you who have lots of apps open on your phone, believe it or not, it actually won't damage your phone in any way. However, and some of you know this, it does result in poor performance and it'll suck the life out of your battery. It'll drain your, the, the battery on your phone much faster. And, and, and again, most of you know that. But here's the thing you maybe haven't realized. The same is true for you. When you have too many things running in your life, too many things going on, too many apps open in your life, and you're, you're trying to be involved in too many different things, it actually leads, and there's lots of studies on this, you can go out and look there, it leads to poor performance, and it also causes you to be drained of your best efforts and energies. All, all the studies show this, that, that focus actually leads to greater performance and it also allows you to sustain energy levels for much lo- longer period of time. Last week we talked about distractions and uh, we talked about this, where this word comes from. It actually comes from two Latin words, dis trahir and dis means apart. Trahir means to drag or to draw. So literally what happens when you experience a distraction in your life from something that you intended to do, something takes your attention away and it drags or draws your attention apart from the thing that you intended to in focusing on. And our divided attention, what it actually does is it undermines. When we're distracted, our divided attention undermines our intentions, what we set out to do. And ultimately what you do is you lose traction. You lose traction in your relationships. You lose traction in your career. You lose traction... In just about any endeavor that you're 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 set set out to to be a part of, it, 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 and it's often that we lose traction in the to the best things, the most important things in life, the ultimate things in life, which is ironically embedded in the word distraction. In, in, the, in the English word distraction, it literally means a lack of traction. And, and, and a loss of traction or a lack of progress or a lack of productivity or a lack of accomplishment to what you set out to do. And again, this happens in families. It happens in businesses. This happens in, in communities. It happens in government. It happens all over the place. And so last week, we, we, we talked about the importance of focus and we talked about the importance of focusing on a, a vision or, or a great work. And we used the story of Nehemiah, who was a, a Jewish exile who was living in Persia. Uh, the the, the um, Medo Persian Empire uh, overtook the Babylonians um, after they had carried a bunch of Jewish exiles uh, into Persia. And the, the, the new king of Persia, Cyrus, said, Hey, I don't have any need for the, the, the Jews to be here. If you want to go home, you can go home. So several uh, campaigns of people went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and try to rebuild their society there that had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And um, when Nehemiah, who was still um, back in Persia, he was serving the king of Persia, Cyrus. He was the cupbearer to the king, had lots of trust by the king in a prestigious role. This is the report that came back. We looked at this last week. Things are not going well. So a bunch of people have gone back to rebuild and to restore their, 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 their livelihood, to restore the nation. But things were not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah which is where Jerusalem was. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall, the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire and it hasn't been restored. And Nehemiah, he, he became deeply troubled by this. In fact, so much so that the king noticed, the king had never noticed him being, even being a bit sad before. And Nehemiah was distraught over this. And, th- and this is what David Brooks, we talked about this last week. I love this, this phrase. David Brooks calls this a terrifying longing. Uh, you, you may have heard of it referred to as a, as a burden or, uh, or as a holy discontent. Um, but I love this phrase, terrifying longing, because it's what it really is. Nehemiah was afraid of what wouldn't be. What 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 he knew should be for his nation, and and he so he set out and he set out to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem because he, he really knew that the wall was was important for keeping out the foreigners and keeping out all the people that were taking advantage of the Israelites, so that they could restore the nation ultimately to prominence the way it was before, and despite dis- d- significant distractions as we talked about last week, Nehemiah's terrifying longing. This thing that he knew could be and should be the restoration of his people. um, Because of his terrifying longing, he was able um, to maintain focus. It was sort of the essential fuel for for empowering his vision and sustaining his focus on what he set out to do. Now, I told you last week, there were several distractions that he dealt with. But this terrifying longing, just as a quick review, it involves three things. It involves uh, the focus on a problem. So the problem is what is, and some of you have experienced this, and, and I'm, I'm gonna mess some of you up because some of you took notes last week and I'm writing these things in, the, in, in different, um, uh, different order. But there's a problem, a possibility, and a passion and the intersection of these three things. The intersection of what is, which is the problem, and the possibility, which is what could be in, in life, and the, um, our passion for that or our, our even caring about it um, is what should be. We go, hey, I'm not satisfied with what is, and I, I know what could be. I see what could be, and I'm, I'm driven by what should be. And so this is, this is where Nehemiah is, and his longing, his, his longing for something different for his people, it tethered him to his vision. But today, as I told you last week, I want to look at some of the specific distractions Because I think we can learn a lot from the distractions that he dealt with. In fact, there were three specific types of distractions that most of us can relate to that surface in our lives. So I wanna jump back back into the story where we left off. If you remember, um, there was uh, some of the enemies of the nation of Israel from the surrounding uh, uh, territories were trying to get Nehemiah to stop the work on the wall to come down and have a meeting with them um, down on this plain. And and, and Nehemiah... uh, Multiple times he said, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. It's this, this famous phrase of like, look, I'm focused on my yes. This is what I'm doing and, and I can't allow you to be a distraction. In fact, four different times they invited him in different ways to come and to, to meet with them. And and Maya wrote back the same response. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. And then he sent him this question. Why should I? I need you to answer this question. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? You don't have the same goal I do. You're not rowing in the same direction as me. You have a you have a different agenda. And if I come meet with you, it's just going to be a distraction because we're trying to accomplish different things. And, and after that, um, they got even more ruthless. Uh, uh, they Nehemiah was in, invited. They 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 attempted blackmail. Basically, they threatened to inform the king, King Cyrus, that he had he had uh, earned all of this this influence with. They threatened to. Uh, to communicate to him that Nehemiah's real intentions were to raise up Israel and to rebel against his kingdom and overthrow uh, the, the Medo-Persian empire, which, which wasn't true. So Nehemiah replied to them and he said, look, there's no truth in any part of your story and you're making the whole thing up and you will be found out. He, he goes on to say that they, they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So Nehemiah says, I continued I continued the work with even greater determination. And, and, and when that didn't work, um, they bribed a prophet. I mean, some people are shameless. They, they bribed one of the, the Hebrew prophets to lure Nehemiah into the temple so that they could take him out um, when, he, when he least expected. But, but God rescued him from that and, and informed me They found out his plan and, and Nehemiah wasn't lured into that demise. So, but here's, here's my question. It feels like with Nehemiah over and over and over, there's all these different things. That caused distractions, and no matter how hard he tried to avoid the distraction, thing after thing after thing, random things, bizarre things happened in his life that got him off task. That that, that were tempted. He was tempted to be lured off task, and and they kept getting in the way. So my question is: Have you ever experienced that before? I mean, I, I know you have. There there's something you set out to do, something you set out to accomplish. There's some problem you set out to solve, and and what happened was there were there was just thing after thing after thing that came up and you're like, I don't know where all these things came from. But they're 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 sort of like they created a, a distraction from you for you that was sort of like hard to even see through, to see your original vision, to see the problem. And in this first this first kind of 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 distraction, I liken to a fog. Fogs are make it, they they cloud our view. They make it difficult for us uh, to see. Um, where we 're headed to see uh, what we, what we intended to focus on, the direction we wanted to go in, and you, you know this practically if you 've ever been driving in a car and may, maybe early in the morning or late in the evening and, and the weather 's just right and there 's some side sort of sort of fog that comes, and you know you can 't see far in front of you in your car you 're driving along. And, and so what you have to do is you just have to keep going and you have, to, you have to focus on what's right in front of you because there's a fog that makes it difficult for you to see your destination. And this is true of you, whether it's a family and you have a, a picture of how you want your kids to grow up, what you hope your family is or your marriage is, maybe you're starting out in marriage or you have a business or a career or you're even trying to figure out where you're trying to get to in life and you have a clear vision of where you wanna go. It's fog makes it difficult to focus on your vision. And it can cause you to lose clarity as it relates primarily as it relates to the problem that you set out to solve in the beginning, because you you now people are bringing you other problems and there's other challenges and there's the threats of the enemy which was what Nehemiah was dealing with and there's internal conflict there's all these different things that that keep coming and make it makes it difficult for you to see where you're going and these are the most common types of distractions in life. It's the urgent things that aren't important. It's the squeaky wheel or the screaming babies. You pick your metaphor that you wanna use, but, but this fog is, can be generated by people that are critical of you or critics in your life, come from competitors, even people that, that seem like or you thought were your friends. They can come from past regrets, from disappointment. They can come from other people's priorities in your life. They can all become a fog of distraction and whatever it is. I mean, I, here's the thing. Jesus said he came that you might have life to the full, that you would thrive in life but that there's an enemy that comes to steal and kill and destroy. Now, Even if you're new to faith and you don't even buy into all that, here's what you need to know. These fogs, the thing that creates fog when you're trying to accomplish or get in a direction, it's an enemy. These things, whatever they are, they're functionally an enemy to the great work you're trying to accomplish because you've set out to do something. You've set your attention and your intention on doing something that's important to you that you think is important to your family or to your community or or to the work that you're, you set out to do. And, and these distractions get in the way. I, I la, Earlier last year, I was at an event. I was speaking at an event. And um, some of you know Bob Goff. He was also speaking at the same event. I ended up sitting at a table uh, with Bob Goff. And um, I was asking, he just had a brand new book come out called uh, Undistracted, which was part of the inspiration uh, of this series. He had a book come out called Undistracted. I hadn't read it yet, um, but... He gave me a copy of it, and I was like, I need to read this. Like, I'm in the middle of a distraction right now, and, and if you know anything about Bob, he's, like, super present, super interested. He goes, tell me about it. I'm like, like, right now, like, we're, you're getting ready to go speak. We're having dinner, like... Are you sure right now? He's like, yeah, tell me about it. And so I started telling him about this, this thing that's going on. I've got this, this, this debate. I'm having this conflict with somebody who, who, you know, doesn't believe in what we're doing. And, and so anyway, we're having this discussion. I, I, told, I told him it got so bad in, in our family. We have a no tech policy at dinner, by the way. Uh, this is parenthetical. We, we at dinner, the dinner table, nobody's allowed to bring technology. No phones, no iPads, you know. We, we, we have dinner. We have family dinner together. And um, this one night after dinner, my phone had been in my back pocket. And I'd been thinking about this thing, and, and I'd read a message from this. We're, it's bizarre. We're, we're messaging all through, through uh, social media. Um, I, we've got each other's phone numbers, which is strange, but we're messaging through social media. And, and I just, I, so I, I went and I, I just thought, I need to respond to that message. So I pulled out, and I'm underneath, underneath the table. <laughs> and I'm messaging. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm, I, and I'm the preacher. And so I'm, I'm messaging underneath the table, and my wife, all she says is, you responding to him again? And that was the moment I knew. And I was telling Bob, that was the moment I knew that like, this is like, this is so distracting me. I can't stay focused on what I need to be doing because this cloud, this fog is in front of me and, and it's just like, it's all I can see and I need to keep responding. So so Bob, being Bob, he's like, he's about to, d- to give a message about something totally different. He's like, listen, let me tell you a story, <laughs> which is awesome. Bob goes, you know, when I used to practice law, he's like, I'm still a lawyer, but I used to practice law on a regular basis and I would, I would get juries and, and there there's a whole pool of people. Some of you have done this. You go d- for jury duty. I got a pool of people. Uh, for Jerry and I start interviewing the people one at a time. And he said, for me, well, the thing I was trying to do is I wanted to make sure that this person was interested in getting to the truth. That's the goal. The goal of the trial is to surface the truth. And if I thought this person had any other agenda, then what that, that was the goal. That was the main purpose. That was sort of the vision for, for trial was to, to surface the truth. And if I thought this person had any other agenda or was you know in any way gonna be a distraction to the case and, and, and to, the, to the trial. He said, I would just, after questioning them, I would just, I would thank them. I'd say, hey, thank you, you're dismissed. And he said, that's what you need to do with this person in your life. I'm sure they're a great person. Like a lot of the people that, that came to my trials that I interviewed, but that person, they've created a fog for you that needs to be dismissed from your life. He said, look, I'm convinced I'll never forget this. He said, I'm convinced it's much easier for the enemy to keep us distracted than it is to take us out. And this is what fog does. When there's a fog clouding your view, he said, look, you, the, the thing you have to do with fogs is you have to clear it out. And that looks different for, for different people. But you, when there's fog, you have to clear that fog out of, of, of your way. This is, this is something that's so important, and sometimes it involves ignoring your critics or distracting, or, or excuse me, distancing yourself from a friend. Sometimes it's, it's uh, unfollowing somebody on social media or deleting social media altogether for a season. It, it's, it's deleting certain apps from your phone. And here's, here's the thing. Often, the best thing to do is to focus on the road that's right in front of you. Because the truth is, is it is still gonna be hard with these distractions in your way to see the problem, to see your ultimate vision. But like in your car, sometimes you have to just put your head down, turn off the high beams. Stop looking all out here and around and turn off the high beams and look at what's right in front of you. What's the good work? What's the next right step in the good work that's been placed in front of you? And then just do that next right thing. And I'll never forget the the. the transformation that happened in my heart and my life and my focus just by clearing that fog out of the way. Distraction number two, in, in the middle, in the middle of work, back to Nehemiah's story, in the middle of the work that they're doing, there's a diverse group of people that are that are working together. And some of the men And their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families. We need more food to survive, which doesn't seem like a huge deal. But you could create some programs. But there were other people. And others said, we've mortgaged our fields and our vineyards and homes to get food during the famine. And still others piled on and said, we've had to borrow money on our fields and our vineyards just to pay our taxes and we belong we belong to the same family to the same people as those who are wealthy and our children are just like theirs yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough food to live and this thing that seemed like a small fire it escalated quickly and their complaints were valid which is why Nehemiah knew if he didn't if he didn't do something about it if he didn't stop and address this that the the entire uh endeavor of, the, of this collective people, the, the rebuilding of the walls and ultimately the rebuilding of the nation would, would be at risk. And so Nehemiah sa- said this, he said, then I call a public meeting to deal with the problem. And at the meeting, Nehemiah said, uh, we're, we're doing all we can to redeem, redeem our Jewish relatives who've had to sell, their, they sell themselves to pagan foreigners, because this is what was happening. Outside, there were foreigners that were taking advantage of and enslaving the people of, of Israel because they couldn't make their own way. And this is part of the problem that Nehemiah came to, to, to solve. He says, but you, you, their fellow brothers and sisters, your, their fellow Israelites are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? We're going to have to do this over and over and over. And they had nothing to say in their defense. Basically, Nehemiah is saying, look, we've got to stop this. And Nehemiah proposed a solution. He said, look, you need to stop charging them interest. You need to restore all the people, their property and their possessions. And you need to repay. You have enough wealth. You need to repay the interest that you charge them so that these people can just get back on their feet. And everyone agreed to the plan. Everybody followed the plan and the work continued. Here's what's so important, this, this second thing. Sometimes, as much as we wanna keep moving forward, sometimes, sometimes, What we deal with in life is we deal with fires. It's not like a fog. It's something different. There's a fire. Something's on fire. And we need to stop to put out the fire. That the the truth is, is the vision that we have or the goal that we've set out, the thing that we're trying to accomplish, it's not going to get done if we don't stop and extinguish the fire. And sometimes, like, like in Nehemiah's case, it can start small. And, and it can be something that doesn't seem like that big a deal. But the longer we let it go, the, the more this fire can, can become dangerous to what we're doing. And if, we, if you leave it untended, unattended, fire can be incredibly destructive. You know this. We've seen this in our world. And it's a threat to your vision. And, and, and the reason is, is because what, what happens is, is fire takes what's a possibility, what could have been, What you believe, not what is, what you believe could have been, and if you're not careful, it can make it an impossibility. Because when it's small, you're you're tempted to to sort of try to contain it. It's it's like a campfire. We we just try to contain it, but but then when it grows, we know campfires can become bonfires and bonfires can become forest fires. And to just try to contain it or to ignore it is a mistake. Because it potentially costs us the possibility of what could be. And while this internal dispute with with Nehemiah, it wasn't really a threat to the wall being rebuilt. The reality was the wall was a means to an end. It was about restoring and redeeming the people, the whole nation of Israel. And what good would it be if they had kept all the foreigners out by, by, by building these walls only for people on the inside to continue to enslave each other inside the nation of of Israel, you see. Here's what happens, and I know this is true because I'm tempted to do this all the time. Oftentimes, in the name of progress, in the name of we got to keep moving, because we try to try to treat fires like fog. Here's what happens: we go, no, I just got to keep going. And sometimes it's because we want to make progress, but sometimes it's just because we don't want to deal with the fire, and it's small at this point, and I don't have to really deal with it. And, and in some ways, like I just need to stay locked in, but. That's an excuse for ignoring something or closing our eyes to something that, that needs us to stop and pay attention, something that could have a bigger consequence if we're not careful. Um, there's, a, there's a plant over in, in uh, a Mercedes plant over in Alabama, and they build uh, Mercedes SUVs, and it's, it's extensive. I think there's 1,650 stations along um, uh, the, the assembly line for one of their vehicles, and every vehicle goes through all these places. And all along this assembly line, there's a, there's a clothesline. It's like a rope. And all along this, there's, there's workers, there's people uh, observing robots that are doing work to make sure it's, it's getting done right, nothing goes out, out of the way. And there's people doing actually manual labor. And all along this way, during these, over these 1,650-plus uh, uh, stations along this assembly line, um, there's this line. And if something goes wrong at any point, you don't want the work to continue. You, you need to stop it. So uh, along that line, there's so many people that have the opportunity. All you have to do is pull the line. If you pull this, this clothesline, the entire operation stops. Everything shuts down from the beginning of the assembly line to the end of the assembly line. And, and one of the plant managers was, was interviewed on a tour being asked, like, I'll bet you that you could be so much more productive if everybody didn't have that power. And the plant manager said, it's just the opposite. Nobody wants to be the reason that progress stops. He said the hardest thing to do is to get people to pull the cord. Because they want to just keep going. They don't want to stop. They don't want to deal with the mess. But when there's a fire that's threatening things, it may be a mess to deal with it, but fires, you have to put it out. It has to be put out. And if you don't put out the fires, fires, as we said a moment ago, they can be incredibly destructive. Even if it's a small fire, you have to stop. And, and some of you, you've used a fire extinguisher before, and there's not a better metaphor because when you're dealing with fires, it can be messy, when you have to deal with a certain behavior of somebody in your, in your family or, or a conflict in your marriage or something in your, your business, an employee that's popular, but their behavior is negative in terms of your culture, it can be messy. It can be incredibly messy, just like using a fire extinguisher. But here's the thing. It's not nearly as destructive as if that thing grows into a wildfire. And Nehemiah knew that. So he stopped and he called a meeting. He pulled everybody together and said, no, no. This doesn't go any further. We gotta fix this problem. And then the work continued and the, and the, and the walls were eventually rebuilt. Okay, distraction number three, back to Nehemiah's story. Uh, one thing um, to note, Nehemiah, if you read the story, he wasn't really thrown off by the threats of people. I don't know why, but he didn't seem to be affected that much or distracted by the threats of people from the outside. But others on the inside were. And, and we, we find out in the story that they had made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion, Nehemiah tells us, that, that this was sort of the plan that we're hearing from the outside. And then the people of Judah began to complain. So these are the people on the inside that are helping to rebuild the wall. They said the workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved, we will never be able to build the walls by ourselves. Which, this is so strange because this was never a complaint before. They've, they've made so much progress. In fact, in the story, you'd see that they're working on several different places at the same time. And they're made, they've made so much progress so quickly in rebuilding their walls that, that even many people were like, why didn't we do this before? We should have started this a long time ago. And this has never been an argument, but coincidentally, it surfaces along with the threats of their enemies and then somebody who, who was representing the people said, meanwhile, so yeah, the, the, the workers are tired and there's a lot of work to be done and we don't know if we can finish all this. And on top of that, it's just sort of a, a parenthetical addition which gives us a clue there's something else going on here. It's sort of like, and another thing, our enemies. Our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. This is what we've heard our enemies are gonna do. And it's sort of like, okay, okay. Now I see. Now I know what's really going on. Have you ever experienced this before? It's like, it's not really, somebody gives an excuse. You know, if you're a parent, your kids come, there's something they don't want to do. Or you have an employee that doesn't want to get involved in something and they give you an excuse, but it's not really the real reason. The truth is, is this last type of distraction um, is the distraction of fear. And most of us uh, in our lives have dealt with fears that have kept us from things that are really meaningful in our lives, kept us from accomplishing things, kept us from pursuing things. That, that this, if, if, if fog is something that clouds our view and fire is something that has the potential to threaten our vision, fear has the potential to paralyze your will. It actually attacks you on the inside and it causes you to want to quit. Now, fear can manifest itself in a lot of different ways in our lives. It, in fact, there's, there's mild fears, mild insecurities, and then there's major anxieties. In fact, it's, it's, we, we, we think about the, the growing anxiety in our culture, primarily among adolescents and teenagers, but it's not just them. It's adults. Some of us suffer from significant fear of failure or rejection or not being enough. Fear, fear can be a fear of missing out or stepping out or being found out or being singled out or losing out or being left out and all these have the potential to paralyze us from experiencing life to the full and and fear in, in this in this case specifically for these people this was sort of like a grave danger but it doesn't have to be a grave danger the, the truth is is um, the, uh, the the writer of proverbs we talked about this last week he said that when we lose vision which is what happens when, when we get we get over succumbed, succumbed by our fears the truth is 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 we lose vision, and uh, the, the the writer of Hebrews said that where there's no vision, people perish or things die. And we talked about this: relationships die, and and difficult things happen in our lives, and companies sputter, and and uh, our our relationships uh, experience really difficult um, seasons in our lives, and and things die; they deteriorate. They they. They oftentimes get overwhelmed by the fears that, that's inside of us. But here's the major problem, and I, I want to tread lightly. We could probably do a whole series on this. The, we've bought a huge lie in our society, and I'm, I'm going to jump on my soapbox for just a second. In our modern culture, like, we've made people think that the reason to help people be secure is to protect them. That if you want to make somebody feel secure, you have to protect them. But that's exactly wrong. It's, it's wrong by every psychological evaluation. In fact, all clinic, clinical, uh, competent clinical psychologists propose just the opposite. Did you know that what most psychologists try to do when people come in who are wrestling with anxiety and fear is they try to lead people to voluntary exposure to their fears? And they do it in, in palatable doses because oftentimes it's the key to overcoming your fears. And it also increases resilience. It's why we become so fragile in our society is because we don't confront the things that we fear. What we do is we cancel people and we cancel all the people that disagree with us and we don't talk to them, we don't have a relationship with them because they're threatening to us and we're fragile. And the reason is, is because we're overcome by our fears instead of exposing ourselves to the things we don't understand and the people that differ from us. Nehemiah he called together the nobles and the rest of the people. And he said to them, look at this, you gotta love this. Don't be afraid of the enemy, he says, which it's like, thanks, like that's not gonna work. Like that's not helpful. Nehemiah, just don't be afraid. He goes, no, no, here's what I want you to do. Don't be afraid of the enemy. I want you to remember the Lord. You're overcome with your fear from the enemy, but you've lost your fear of the Lord. Remember the Lord who's great and who's glorious Remember who it is that's with us and regain a healthy fear of him and your fear of God and his power should be greater than your fear of the enemy. And fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. I mean, the truth is, is is this was the passion that you began with in the beginning. Your your passion has been snuffed out by your fear. You originally wanted to restore the nation, uh, your family and your your brothers and your wives and your daughters. This is this was your passion in the beginning. And you've lost your why. And when you lose your why for why you're doing this, when you lose your why, you always lose your way. And this is what happened to Nehemiah. And some of you have been there. Ten years ago, um, I set out west um, to the desert, no less, to um, deal with the, the hardest leadership challenge of my life. And uh, my wife and I, we moved our family out there and. And I'll tell you, it was so challenging. And the, the first year and a half, we were about a year and a half in and, and um, I, I joined an organization that was uh, going backwards rapidly. It was in decline. I'd never turned anything around in my life. And, and a year and a half in, we stopped the bleeding. We had finally hit the bottom and, and we sort of leveled off at the bottom. And we hadn't yet uh, turned things upward. We weren't trending up yet. That, that was coming, but it hadn't happened yet. But I was trending downward on the inside. And, and truthfully, I wanted to quit. I wasn't that different than these people that were building the wall that were overcome by fear. And and the truth was, is I, I found myself um, one day on a nine my nine mile drive home, going, Lord, if if I know why you brought us out here, and I'm clear about that, but I, I if this is if this is what following you is, like, I don't know if I want to. A month later, I found myself flying across the country. Um, for a four-day intensive with a guy named Dr. John Walker. I mention his name not because he's famous or because you know him, um, but because I owe him a debt of gratitude. I spent four days, um, long hours, two sessions a day uh, with him, trying to unpack my story and the trauma I had experienced, and all the difficulty, I felt like the you know when you watch the war movies, and it, at the at the end of the battle, it's like you know everybody's celebrating that you won the war, but there's a few of the warriors that are just cut, you know, you're like cut and you're bleeding, and you're like, great, I'm glad you're celebrating. Like I'm I'm in bad shape, and that's how I'm feeling. And um, I remember unpacking my story with him, and it was day three in the morning. He. Um, he said, hey, do you mind if I reflect something to you? And um, I, I said, sure. He said, well, um, you know, you told me your story about, you know, when you lost your dad and you kind of told like it wasn't that big a deal. But then you, as I have tracked your story all these years, it feels like everything you've done in every place that you've done, every job, every career, every endeavor, you've had somebody else that's over you. That's like leading you, like, like, and I'll just tell you, I, I've always been, been known as a risk taker and being willing to be innovative. But he said, you've always had somebody that was sort of the tip of the spear. And he said, I just, I just wonder, I'm just asking. It feels like now that you're sort of out from underneath any of that other covering and you're the guy and like, you're the tip of the spear. He said, I just wonder, like, it seems like from your story, you're wondering if you really have what it takes. And when he said that, I knew he was right. I was trying to decide if I was gonna tell him the truth or not, actually. But I decided I was spending a lot of money to be there, so I might as well tell him the truth. (laughs) And so I said, no, no, that's exactly right. He said, do you mind if I press a little further? I was like, does it matter? I think you're gonna. He said, look, I just want you to know um, what you've described to me over the last year and a half has not been easy. But he said, I just want you to know, I see a warrior, warrior in you. And you may not feel like you have what it takes, but you absolutely do. You don't have anything else to prove. I think part of what this season was, is God bringing you out here to help you face that fear. And I think God's proven to you that he's given you all that you need. He prepared you ahead of time for the work that he had for you. See, when you're paralyzed by fear, and I was close to giving up, you have to root it out. And you have to be clear about what is it exactly that you're afraid of. Because it's usually not the thing that's on the surface. It's a something. It's the thing beneath the thing. It's below the surface. And here's the truth. Some of you are experiencing distraction, the distraction of fear. And maybe it's not fear. Maybe there's a fire in your midst that you need to put out. Maybe there's a fog. But you're experiencing a lack of traction, some distraction in your marriage and, or in your family or in your business or, or maybe in, in some other worthy cause you're invo- involved in. And, and the truth is, it's taking you off course and it's, it's caused you to stall out. Maybe it's close to taking you out. Maybe one of these three questions could be helpful in helping you understand where or why you're losing traction. So let me ask you as we close, like what's clouding your view? What are the things that are non-essential that, that you need to be willing to dismiss because it's clouding you from seeing the problem you ultimately wanna solve? the, the f- better future you want to provide for your kids or the way you want to honor your commitment to the very end with your spouse. And the truth is, is you're uniquely positioned for the great work that God's placed in front of you. But these things, these other things, they need to be cleared out because they're clouding your view. What, what's threatening your vision? What's making it hard for you? Um, and maybe possibly could make impossible for you to accomplish what God's placed in your heart. See, sometimes you have to press pause on the work and you have to deal with things and you have to, you have to deal a death blow to the fires fast. You have to extinguish them because it's putting your ultimate goal at risk. And if, you, if what's possible is gonna be kept from being rendered impossible, you have to pause and put out that fire. Lastly, what's paralyzing your will? What's that fear inside of you that might be keeping you from doing the great work, from daring greatly, from bringing your fears to the surface, bringing your fears into the light? By the way, this is what happened for me sitting in an office down in South Florida. I was sitting there and when I was able to acknowledge that fear out loud and brought it into the light, it suddenly reduced the fear. It reduced the power of that fear. Not only did it reduce the power of that fear, it restored passion in me for doing what ultimately I knew God wanted me to do. What I knew what could be done and what I knew should be done and needed to be done. So as we close, look at, if you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. Listen, the scriptures talk about renewing your mind. I want you to receive this. You are God's handiwork. He created you. If you place your faith in Jesus, he recreated you in Christ Jesus to do great work that he prepared in advance for you to do. That's what Ephesians 2 says. May you stay on course. And shine a bright light illuminating for others around you to pursue the great work that God has for them. May you stay on course and pursue the great work that God has for you in your home, in your business, across our city, and for some of you, literally around the world. And may your light shine so bright. This is what the scriptures say. May your light shine so bright that everybody around you sees your great work And they're drawn towards your creator in heaven, your sustainer in heaven, and the one who ultimately invites us to call him father in heaven. Let me pray for you. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you created us on purpose for a purpose. Pray for somebody who's here today in a a fog or a fire or fear has distracted them from the great work that you designed for them to accomplish. I pray that you bring people alongside them would help them to get refocused or maybe to focus on and see, gain a vision for, for the first time, the way in which you created them and designed them and the unique problem that they're positioned to solve in the world and a unique role that they're they're made to play in the world, the role that they can play that nobody else can play. I pray that you would, give them the courage to clear out the fog, to dismiss those that need to be dismissed, to dismiss the distractions that need to be put away, that you would help them to put out the fires, to have the courage to deal with the things that that are in the way, that are gonna potentially take them out. And I pray that you would also allow them the grace that they need to face the fears that ultimately are paralyzing them and that you would, allow us, and you would empower us, that you would lead us to accomplish all that you dreamed that we would accomplish and experience in this life, and that we would thrive as your people. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.